Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name is Dan O'Rourke, and I'm in the studio with a couple of my Divine Renovation friends. It is good to see you, Ron Huntley, Director of Coaching. It's good to be here, Dan. And Father James Mallon, it's good to be with you today. It's good to be here. So guys, today I want to talk a little bit about the Catholic Church and how, how we as parishioners often understand it. Because one of the things that is, is, exists in our culture, pardon me, is, is this notion of, of consumerism. It's how we engage with so many of the things that are around us. We start as consumers of, of, of things. How do, how do you think people are beginning to understand the church? And, and does, it, does that impact our, our understanding of what it looks like to be a parishioner? Uh, absolutely. And it's often, it's not even a conscious thing. You know, and essentially, if 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 the primacy of my identity is I'm a consumer, then basically everything around me is consumable. It serves me. Mm. Uh, and it's the actual inversion of, of what Jesus says, that if you wish to preserve your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So it's the, it's the exact opposite of the, of, of the spirit of the gospel. And it's something that certainly pervades our entire culture. I mean, I've seen recently that, that you know, instead of being a patient in the hospital, you're a healthcare consumer. And so we, we're defined as consumers, and I definitely see that that, that perception uh, of, of oneself within a parish is, really shapes a lot of things. Mm, I wonder how we got there, because I would agree with you, Father James. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine at a local coffee shop a couple of years ago, and they recognized me from the church. We had a mutual friend, and she came over, and she said, I have to get my son is first communion. Uh, how do I do that at your church? Mm. And I said, oh, is, do you go to St. Benedict? She said, well, that's my church. But no, she doesn't go. And she just wanted to come and get the, the son, his, comfort, you know, his first Holy Communion. And I just thought, you know, the conversation just said, well, you know, it's about a relationship with Jesus. Is that something you want for you and your family? Because if you don't want that, these are sacraments of initiation. But if you don't want to belong... It's probably not something that makes sense for your family, but you know, have you ever thought about Alpha? Like, because I need to engage her in a different level because so many people are engaging at the sacramental level. But that's all they've ever known. Oftentimes, I mean, in many sense, yeah. ma- ma- many ways, you we can be quick to kind of blame or condemn this, you know, consumeristic uh, mindset or spirit. But we've sometimes created that. Yeah, ourselves. it's a bed we've made, and now yeah. we find ourselves sleeping in it. We don't like it anymore, but. But but how did we get here? Like how did we get to this? I, I place? think in many ways it's, it's so it's been around for a long time because if you scratch underneath the surface, you find here basically what is called paganism. Okay. You know, so you think about the in ancient times in the Greco-Roman world, you had the um, you had the different temples to the, to the different gods, and every city had a pantheon, which means all the gods, just in case you missed a few. And basically, gods specialized in different things. So when you went to worship in that ancient world, you made a deal. Mm. You made a deal with the god, with, 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 the, with the god, and you you like any deal in the ancient world, you 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 bartered, you bargained, hey. A God of whatever, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And it's like when you go to a marketplace and you're like, how much? $20. $20? I'll give you five. No way. $20. I'll give you five. Fifteen, ten, twelve. You know, like you, you bargain down because at the essence of consumerism are two values. Cheap price, the lowest price, the lowest mm-hmm. cost, number one, and convenience. Wow. And th- that, I think if you look at how a lot of parishes uh, operate and how a lot of uh, parishioners react when, especially when things begin to change or you raise expectations. Uh, mm-hmm. under, the reason why people get upset and angry is because 
you're breaking the rules. Right. I mean, we've we've had a we've had a, an agreement here for centuries that that you will give me what I want at a low price and in a way that's convenient to me, and you're breaking the rules. So I think that consumeristic mindset, it, it's always been in the church, and it, mm-hmm. it goes back to the to the pagan world, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, too, that's where the whole notion, like, and this is what stirred up in me, even as a young boy, that this is supposed to be so much more. Like, my experience of church, I knew it was supposed to be so much more, just based on the prayer time with my mom at nights, based on listening to scripture and mom telling me the stories growing up as a boy. Jesus was amazing. He transformed lives all the time. And so I knew in my heart of hearts that the church was in the life transformation business. It just didn't look like it anymore. It, it, it was it was a very transactional church, and I knew it was supposed to be transformational, not transactional. Yeah, it's a great trans transactional versus transformational, and in many ways we've we've turned God into a divine vending machine. You know, like I put my money in and I press the buttons, and the underlying attitude is here I am, Lord, serve me, as opposed to here I am, Lord, send me, and those are two very very different dispositions. And the the actual, if you look at our faith as a, as a covenant faith, if you look at the scriptures, if you look at the great saints of the church, if you look at the worship of the Eucharist and what that's about, it ultimately is about the self-offering of ourselves unconditionally to the Lord to say, here I am, send me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's, I come to do your will. It says in, in the Psalms, here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Whereas so often for many people, religious faith is about here I am, Lord, come and do my will. You know, I've heard the, the vending machine God uh, comment before, and I do think there's so many of us that, that enter into prayer. Like, you know, <laughs> Father James, I know that, uh, especially Catholics, but perhaps not just by any stretch, um, you know, we often go to God with the things that we're asking for, right? And, and you challenge uh, you challenge our team, you challenge uh, parishioners to think about, well, you know, there's there's more forms of prayer than just prayer, prayers of Askins. What are the other ways that we ought to be praying? Because, you know, if we, if we only ask, and, and God, we're, we're told jesus teaches us to ask yes. yeah. but it, that that's that's not the only way we ought to pray and i think you know that that notion of a vending machine god it has an interesting and perhaps a specific nuance that's a little different in the catholic world in the sense that we have a vending machine god but we can also have a vending machine church because our church actually offers in our case the sacraments and other things that people feel drawn to and this is, is actually has less to do with god than anything else it's not like oh i want that thing that god's going to do like that that you know right. the baptism of the holy spirit no i'm not actually after the holy spirit when i go to get my child baptized what i'm actually looking for is some water to be dabbled on my child's head because what i'm looking for is a transaction with that church not necessarily a transaction with god so it's even a step one step further removed yeah. from from the actual ness, essence of the faith and i think that because we're, we're um, because we're a liturgical church and we're a church of, uh, of, of sacraments, that the, the Catholic tradition probably has this in, in, greater, um, in greater number than you would see in other, in other Christian traditions, simply because we have different forms and rites that are, and sacraments yeah, that are and different. So many of these sacraments, they correspond to rites of passage, yeah. you know, which, are, which is a very beautiful thing, yeah. a very human thing. And people, even if they don't have an explicit faith in, 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 in the Lord, they may have a general sense of God and say the birth of a child is natural to say, mm-hmm. I want to thank God. I want to have a blessing, a, a blessing upon my child. But, you know, a blessing for an infant is not the same thing as baptism. Baptism has an entirely different meaning. And so there's good dimensions of this that we can build on, but a lot of pitfalls as well, because mm-hmm. this is what happens. And this is what many parishes are experiencing is this transactional, um, consumeristic um, 
attitude towards the sacraments is that I'm, I want to get the I want to get my t- ticket punched. Yeah. Um, there might be a sense that this is what I have to do to go to heaven when I die. Um, and so, as a consumer, you know, no one goes around the shopping mall looking for the. the, the no one goes says, "Oh, actually, I saw this item." in the other store across the street that was much more expensive. I think I'm going to go over there. Right. I and mean, we shop around looking for the lowest price. Mm. Early on, I, I remember you both telling me stories of, of, of the challenges around accounting. Uh, so one of the things that, you know, we always encourage pastors and, and, and parish priests to do is to, to do better jobs at counting. And and one of the things I think we do a reasonably good job at is counting things like like sacraments. Uh, not all of the sacraments by any stretch, of that, but, but they're not always an, an expression of actual health, are they? Well, I think experience shows that they're not. And, and in fact, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, the counting that's required of the, of the reporting to Rome every number of years, the bishops have to go for an ad limina visit to Rome and there's a, a detailed report they have to fill out. So that, what's requested in that report determines uh, often what diocesan leadership requests of parishes. And it literally is around counting sacraments. That's essentially what we count, number of marriages, number of baptisms, infant baptisms, adult baptisms, even how many hosts did you give out in the course of a year? How many people received Holy Communion? And it's not a worthless thing to count. Um, it, it certainly will tell you something. But in this day and age when so many are sacramentalized but not evangelized, if we really do believe that our mission is to, is to f- create and form missionary disciples, uh, we know that a lot of people uh, go to church and receive sacraments who have not yet become missionary disciples. So it, it challenges us to say, what else? What else are we going to count? Mm. And and that's where, you know, when I look at what people are wrestling with, who are leading, like sometimes, if, and if you're listening to this and you're saying, yeah, finally somebody's saying it. Uh, if if the congregation or if people are following, if they just were educated enough. Uh, you know, that's the problem. And Father, I've heard you say from time to time, we're perfectly suited to get the results we're currently getting. Yeah, that's not a, that's, that, that, that's a quote I got from somewhere else. Every organization is perfectly structured to get the results it's presently getting. Yeah. And so as, as church leaders, if you're listening to this podcast and you're part of a team and, and you're responsible to lead, I would challenge you. If you feel like it's other people's fault, if you feel like it's the consumer's fault, if you feel like it's the parishioner's fault, I want you to just pause, acknowledge that, and offer it up to Christ because this, there is an opportunity here. Um, but if we're casting blame and judgment on people, I really do believe that's the bed we've made and now we're sleeping in it. Absolutely. And it's a, it is uncomfortable and it's not fun and it's really, you know, you talk about vending machines. Well, vending machines, you put money and you get something out. Now people are coming out the vending machines and just kicking it, looking to get something. They're not even putting money in. <laughs> so, you know, and so churches are understaffed and they're under-resourced and, and even the little resources they have are going to staff positions that get no results in terms of forming intentional disciples. And we all know that. Mm. And it's like, where do we hit the crazy stop button? And in so many of these churches, they're attached to schools. And so these schools are literally you know, it's a grade appropriate sacramental experience, but there's no connection to the local church financially, spiritually, missionally, like there's, it's falling apart at every possible front. There's, you know, if you think of uh, covenant discipleship and which is really the call of the gospel uh, versus simply being in what traditionally we call a practicing Catholic, which tended to be a lot more 
transactional. In the in the end, it's a, it's a kind of if it is transactional, there's a buying involved. There's a price. Now it might not be no one you know people might not be paying money for sacraments. I mean, generally in the church we call that simony. Uh, to and it's is very much frowned upon that any kind of transaction and it doesn't have to be money it could be gifts mm-hmm. like that is something that is very very dangerous and the term simony goes back to a story in the Acts of the Apostles Acts chapter eight and it's when uh, Philip is visiting in, in in Samaria we hear that there was a certain man named Simon who had previously pra- practiced magic. In the city and and amazed the people of 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 Samaria. So this was a well-known man. He's sometimes known in tradition as Simon Magus, which means Simon the magician. So he actually heard the the preaching and he he came to faith. Uh, he, he believed and he was baptized and he hung around with Philip and he was blown away by what he saw. And when they at one point laid hands on people to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, something powerful happened. And Simon responded uh, by saying, uh, give me also this power so that anyone in whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And he offered the money. He offered the money. So here's a transaction in the spiritual sphere for something that's perceived to be good. Now, listen to the response here uh, of Peter. He said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we might, again, not be offering money, but unless you're, you know, we're kind of, what, what is the price of, of being a disciple? Mm-hmm. Um, it's everything. It's our hearts. It's not a part of ourselves. It's not a, it's not a deal. It's, it's all of ourselves is what the Lord asked for. And he says, you have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of the wickedness, this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So he says, uh, your heart is not right before God. And that's really at the center, if we struggle with a consumeristic mentality in the church, uh, it's a question of the heart. Mm. I think people don't know it. They don't know what they don't know. I remember years ago when my uh, brother started hockey, my mom bought him all the gear. And one of the things I love about my brother, when he's in, he's all in. So I remember standing at the boards, opening the door while the kids are coming on the ice. And my brother just comes running out of the dressing room, charges the ice surface and falls flat on his face. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, well, that was a rough start, but he'll, he'll, he'll rebound. And he got up and he fell and he fell and he fell like a deer on ice. And then I looked at my mother and I said, did you sharpen his skates? And she said, I didn't know you're supposed to sharpen skates. He wasn't set. So he had to come off and he didn't, he didn't, that wasn't a tryout he could even participate in. But no parent would intentionally set their children up for failure. Mm. My mom didn't know the difference. Guess what she did? She ran out and got those skates sharpened. So many parents are bringing their kids to the sacraments with dull blades in essence. We're setting our kids up for spiritual failure mm. and we don't even know we're doing it. And that's where that's why we do what we do. My heart just burns to help people have a transformational encounter with Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit because it changes everything. When you have sharp skates and you're on ice, you have a much higher chance. But, but of think being- if your entire experience of playing ice hockey I'm gonna say ice hockey, and we know there's some listeners right. for whom <laughs> hockey is something you play on grass. <laughs> If your only experience of ice hockey is playing with dull with dull skates, you might play for a while and say, you know something, this isn't that much fun. I, I'm, hmm. I'm I'm going to quit. 
I'm going to quit. And I, and I think in many ways that's been the experience of a lot of Catholics who have, you know, come through the bare minimum experience of, of the church and going to a Sunday school class or a Catholic school and receiving sacraments, but have not been brought into relationship with the Lord. It's like all they've known is, is, is dull skates and what they reject therefore is not the real thing. And yet they truly believe that they have tasted and seen the real thing and they're not interested anymore. And in many ways, what we've succeeded in doing is immunizing people mm. to the power of the gospel by our pastoral methodology, because it's a methodology that goes back to an era when when church and culture were, were fully united. And mm. simply by doing these things, and because faith was in the family, uh, because it was in the school and it was in the parish, and the general culture supported it, it was sufficient but not anymore. Not anymore. I look at the um, this this because it really speaks to the phenomena of cultural Catholicism, right? I'm a Catholic, uh, meaning I tick I tick the census box, and maybe I show up on Christmas, right? And so you know that that's there's all sorts of challenges innate with that. Uh, but what it does provide is an opportunity, and I look at it as a wonderful opportunity for us as the Catholic Church, because. Unlike a lot of other faith traditions, what you see in the Catholic Church is, is, is people actually feel like there's a there's a tug, there's a pull, there's a, a pattern uh, that that it's built in to the rhythm of, of of Catholic life. And even if we've fallen away from the Catholic Church, we often want to chase that pattern. And you know, most most clearly, we see it with with kids in their sacraments, right? So you know, I want to get my baby baptized. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really believe in all that church stuff, but you know, it's something that we got to do. We're going to pull a family together, we're going to do the photos. But it provides us an opportunity, doesn't it? So, what are some of the things that if you're if for the pastors and other leaders that are listening, when they've got consumer Catholics and cultural Catholics showing up, but who aren't really members of a church or even necessarily believers, they were wearing dull skates. What are some of the things that you would tell them? Well, one of the things you said, Dan, I, I, I don't know. I'll just give another perspective. I think people do believe. I think people do believe in God. I think they're frustrated with the church and they're exasperated with the church, but I think people still believe in God. So when they're bringing their kids to the sacraments, I think they're doing what they believe to be good. I do think they do still believe in God. I don't think they find the church relevant. Yeah. And and so, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think there's plenty of belief out there. Yeah, I think for the most part that, that, you're, that you're right. Is that fair? That. Yeah, I think okay. it is. But I, th- I think what's happening is, is the church is like, I love, you know, Father James, you talk about in your book, you know, we have to work on the hymns, homilies, and hospitality, but we also have to re-engage the culture who've, disengaged from the church. Let's not make the church our primary focus. Let's make bringing people into a relationship with Jesus the primary focus because once people encounter Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, then they seek out the things of God, which include church and sacraments. And, and, and this, this is what the primacy of evangelization is all about. So if you talk about a, a solution uh, for, for this dilemma around the sacraments, the big broad solution is focus primarily in your parish on evangelization and not so much on, as we do traditionally, catechesis and sacraments. I mean, in most parishes, what we do is child-centered catechesis and and we celebrate sacraments. And we don't do, we don't evangelize or really actively form adult disciples. So what it means is saying that as a parish, our our big, our, most of our resources are going to go in this direction, which is usually something new. However, once you do that, you still have the point that people are going to call in September and say, well, how do I sign my kid up mm. to get his first communion? People who are not connected to church. You need to have uh, a sacramental process for sure. And also, you, we need a sacramental process for our faithful people who are committed and active yes. in the life of the church. So 
how do we do that? And, and I, you know, there's, there's different pathways for different sacraments, um, and people need to kind of think into the local context and, and think through this. But one of the things is I think we have to manage our expectations mm-hmm. around uh, what we can see happening, um, especially for people who are not connected to church. Let me ask you this then, guys. And, and Ron, maybe I'll, I'll direct this question to you. What kind of impact do you think the church has on on people when we actually cater to consumerism? Not very much. <laughs> I think that's shown in the stickiness. You know, when people come and approach the sacraments, you know, if somebody got their driver's license and never drove a car again, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? But we see it all the time in the church. People approach the sacraments and they don't come back. I remember teaching uh, uh, Sunday school for my son when he reached the age of sacrament of reconciliation first communion and man it was fun like i went i took the material they gave me and i just brought it alive and we did some fun crazy stuff like parents would come to me and say ron i don't know what you're doing with my kids but they won't let us miss coming on on sunday and i thought that's awesome uh, i'll never forget after they received their first communion i ran into one of the little girls that uh was in my class and her mom in the grocery store and I looked at her and I just I just filled with joy because you fall in love with these kids right they scared the daylights out of me before I before I took on that class but then you fall in love with all these little people and I saw her and her mom and I looked at her and said hey what was it like to get your second communion and she looked at me and she said I haven't received my second communion and I was my heart just sunk because I know how excited she was and how engaged she was. And I looked at her mom, who looked really awkward and uncomfortable, and said, yeah, we've just been really busy, you know. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of things on the go, and we just haven't been able to make it. And I just said, you know, basically, it's okay. Like, honest to God, look at your daughter. Mm. Like, She's dying to grow in a relationship with faith, but as parents, sometimes we prioritize hockey or sports or drama or school or music lessons, and we can make room for it all. Like, put Jesus first, and all else will be given unto Mm. you. And so when we don't do that, what difference do the sacraments have when we're consuming them? Not as much as, and we all know it for heaven's sakes. It's the elephant in the room. We all know it, and yet we're continuing to prop up a structure and a process that gets dismal results. And the thing is, there's a greater price, Ron, because when we all know it and the people who are, you know, looking for transactions know it and they know that we know it. And not only that, they know that we know that they know that we know, uh, then there's a huge issue of integrity because Mm -hmm. there's there's a rot in the whole system Mm -hmm. and we're going through motions. Now, there's often some best interpretation of that is that there's some degree of goodwill there because we've developed a theology in the church and it's a, it's not a bad theology that, that sees the, the sacraments as, you know, they're set apart from other things the church does because there's a guarantee from Christ, from the person of Jesus, that the, the, the sacrament will have its effects. So this yes. goes back in the history of the church that they're, they're objectively valid, but we've, we've, we've divided this idea of valid sacraments that give grace we've divided it from fruitfulness mm. and we become satisfied with valid sacraments. So yeah. even if there's no fruit, zero fruit, fruitfulness, we've got a theology that says, well, not all is lost. 
Mm-hmm. I still accomplish some good, and maybe this is all the good I can ever accomplish. However, if you live long enough with with this lack of lack of fruit, fruitfulness, it begins to gnaw away at us in, in 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 the inside. It becomes a really a question of integrity. It's true, and when we coach into different churches around the world, you know, I'd just like to speak to the bishops if I could for a second. Like you know this too, you see this too. And you have priests in your diocese who might want to make a difference. Can you support them? Mm. Can you acknowledge the elephant in the room? And will you support them? Because they're going to get one heck of a pile of complaints if they actually seek to make a difference as people approach the sacraments. But if they're doing it out of love, not judgment, with an earnest desire to make a difference, to bring church alive again, can you support them? Because here's the other thing we see. Sometimes their fellow priests don't support them because yep. those people leave that church that they didn't go to yep. and they go seek the sacraments at another church where the bar is lower. And that's okay. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. But we have to allow your innovators to innovate for the sake of mission and impact. And, and I hope that, that you know, if you're listening and you're a bishop, acknowledge that, recognize that, call that out, inspire people to be great because we need the church needs to make a difference in the lives of people and if we're not and it remains transactional we're dying anyway let's 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 die going down with the fight let's 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 not fade out like let's let's rise up so for leaders that are listening uh, what what advice would you give them they're going to find themselves some of them uh, some of the people listening right now will find themselves in a church where where that attitude of consumerism is rampant among people in the pews as well as people outside what what advice would you give to 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 leaders who find themselves in that kind of a situation i'd say be slow to judge because and I say that mostly for myself. <laughs> but what ends up happening, sometimes your churches are being led by people who have the charism of shepherding. And they don't want to hurt people's feelings and they don't want anyone to feel left out. And so by by celebrating the sacraments with people and, and putting a really low bar, it, it speaks sometimes to their desire for people to feel accepted and loved and cared for. And so their intention is right. The impact isn't very good. And so maybe... And that's where mm. self-awareness and growing mm. in your capacity to in leadership and understanding and being able to differentiate what that is, what it looks like, and how you live it out is helpful. But sometimes what happens, and if you're apostolic or evangelistic, that's going to drive you bonkers because it's going to be clear as day to you. But whereas the shepherd is going to look at it and go, no, no, you got to accept people where they're at. There's a tension in there that we have to get better at managing as we all come around the table with that fivefold of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers from the letter of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we have to begin to think about all those functions within the church, not only charisms within us individually, but functions in the church so that they're working to be fruitful because you can tell a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. And when we were doing this at St. Benedict Parish, we, we were measuring how many people who weren't going to church before who approached the sacraments, stuck around after the sacraments, and the number was zero. And so we realized we can't keep doing this and say we're doing what the church is calling, what Jesus is calling us to do because we're not. So we had to innovate, and it was hard. But, you know, I don't know how we sleep at night continuing to do what we're doing when it's not having a result because basically we're saying God doesn't make a difference. Mm. And I just don't believe that. So, Father James, what are some of the advice you would give to to pastors who find themselves in that that consumerist um, milieu? Um, 
I think, first of all, we used to always say, it's not a question of saying no to people. We should never really say no because you can't, you can't shut the door to people. Um, God is always at work in some way, uh, but that doesn't mean we say, you know, uh, an open yes. It, it, no can mean, instead of saying no, we should really say, well, let's help you get ready. Uh, and that means that we, we're willing to push the stop button on the conveyor belt and actually work with families. And again, the biggest thing you can do to make the difference ultimately in the end is to invest in evangelization. If you have a robust uh, tool like Alpha actually working and operating in your parish and you develop a culture of evangelization, you can then begin to uh, try to connect people into a process like that. Mm, so if I'm an unknown parishioner, like so someone who's, who's shown up on your doorstep and you've never seen me before, uh, and I say, hey, look, you know, I, I'd like to, to get married, right? I've got this baby. Would you baptize her? Uh, what, 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 what are you gonna, how are you going to engage with me? Yeah, well, that's, it's a, it's a, would be a long answer. I mean, one of the things we do is our, our marriage prep program actually starts with Alpha, uh, it's not the best way to get people on Alpha is to require them to be there. Uh, however, God can work through any of those things. Uh, so that's one Alpha thing we do. Point. I like it. It's <laughs> and the other thing with, with baptisms, we, we don't require something like Alpha, but we have a, a team. We, we do baptismal prep only a couple of times a year, and it it's involves uh, it's a longer process that involves you know asking people to, to go to Mass. So a lot of people are looking, you know, who have the consumer mindset who are looking for the cheapest price. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, okay, thanks very much. Much, they're going to call the neighboring parish and find out it's only a three-week thing and no questions asked. So in many ways, uh, people opt out themselves without us having to have that conversation. But when they come into the baptismal prep program, the team there it, are, are all people who themselves have had conversions in recent years, and it's very much witness-focused on the person of Jesus and the difference he makes in your life. And so it's really looking at the mm. big picture of the Christian life and not simply saying, okay, here's a little... Uh, teaching on the ritual of baptism, and we at the end of it, we in, we have a kind of a serious conversation with people around what would your next step be. Now, does that mean that people are going to follow through on it? No, not necessarily. But I think by approaching it this way, we get a much higher proportion of people who do follow through. So, look, guys, I was I appreciate this conversation around consumerism, and I hope those who've been listening and consuming this podcast have found it uh, <laughs> fruitful and helpful for them. Uh, and and I, look, I mean, it's an important reality that we live in, but it's also an opportunity. And so, we have to look at these challenges as opportunities to, to better engage people and to to lean into things like evangelization and and to mm. to just to not lose sight of, of the mission that we have uh, as Christians and continue on with our missional heart. So, thank you for being with us this week. We look forward to being with you again next week. God bless. Thanks for listening. The book Divine Renovation by Father James Mallon is why this ministry exists. It has been translated into many different languages and read all over the world. To purchase your copy, follow the link in the description below. Next week on the podcast. We can chicken out at any given point. We can back out at any given point. But for those few that are courageous enough to continue to be coached and be drawn out. I see them being completely transformed.